This show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at Altizen.com. A-L-T-I-Z-E-N.com. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology and media in Asia. In this episode, I speak to Samir Singh from TechTalks.net on the recent F8 announcement on chatbots and video live streaming and examine the implications on the upcoming showdown between messaging apps in Asia such as WeChat and Line. We also discuss where artificial intelligence will play in the technology space across the world. Hi Samir. Hi Bernard, how are you doing? I'm well. How are you doing in London? Terrific. Busy time of the schedule for me, so good to come on right now. Yes, and I think there's a lot of for us to discuss. In fact, it's going to be broken into two parts, but we are going to be a little bit secretive in how we're going to talk about this. I definitely reintroduce you. I'm talking to Samir Singh from techtalks.net and also currently working for AppAny. I've been here for about a year and a half and it feels like I've been here for a couple of months. It seems that when the podcast first started with you being my guest on the first episode, we have moved from India to England. Yes. What month was that? October? That was September, our first podcast. All right. We want to get back to actually pretty interesting discussion. I think the first part of this, we are actually going to be talking a little bit about social networking and also artificial intelligence. But I think we were going to be start off from the Facebook F8 conference recently. And there is this notions of things like chatbots and live streaming. The first thing I probably wanted to talk to you in recap is what actually happened during the recent Facebook F8 announcements. Well, there's two major themes that Facebook highlighted, which was live streaming and chatbots. Beyond which, I just want to touch upon the 10-year plan they unveiled, right? Which was basically where their products currently are, how they want to expand them into platforms, and what platforms they see emerging in the, in the next, say, 10 years. Obviously, the stock market loved it, and it's always really interesting to see a company lay out its future plan. People always want to see what vision a company has. So the stock price has, markets actually responded to that. But let's get back to the major announcements, right? One was live streaming. The pretty major emphasis here, they launched a three new 360-degree camera, which is something even Google's doing in partnership with GoPro in order to create a virtual reality content. The another thing was the live streaming API where you could directly connect camera, feed a feed from a camera directly to your Facebook feed. Most live streams show up, I think, on the, at the top of the feed. Live streaming is a pretty major emphasis for Facebook right now. We'll get into that one a little later. I have some thoughts on that. The second one was something people have been expecting for a few months now, chatbots which is a conversational agent within Messenger that's created by businesses. Yes, and that is very similar or maybe even different from what the messaging apps in Asia such as WeChat, Line and Talk, are doing. I think we can talk a little bit on that. Based on the roadmap itself, if you were to look at Facebook today, do you look at live streaming as something they're doing much more immediate priorities and something for chatbots maybe in the medium priorities and then the AI and the Oculus Rift to be something like in the future in their roadmap. I actually say that both live streaming and chatbots are an immediate priority for them just the way they're going on about it. I think they have plans to expand chatbots to become bigger than they are, depending on what uptake looks like. And, and obviously, VR is long term. That said, a little skeptical about how they're going on about, about the chatbots. So maybe help my audience, what are actually chatbots and how do they actually work? Well, before we're saying what a chatbot is, let's look at what a bot is. I think mm. a bot is any tech built on artificial intelligence, irrespective of the level of sophistication that a user can interact with. So Siri is a bot, Google Now is a bot. Those are generalized bots. So they are bots that you can interact with for pretty much any need. A chatbot is basically a bot built into a chat interface. They're basically a social media account that you can converse with, technically on a real-time basis, but in reality, it's become a little longer than that. And they're supposed to 
help you automate tasks or meet your needs better than apps do. So that's the part that I have a little bit of issue with because in the West, they call it conversational UI because as a head of products myself, when I look at chatbots, I look at something that interfaces with the messaging app and then basically force it to do some form of business transactions. I mean, it's clearer in the Asian messaging apps, for example, WeChat. And you and I talk about this a lot of times that Facebook is just basically cloning WeChat left right how are they distinguished from things like apps and on the mobile phone or how do they also distinguish themselves from the asia messaging apps then okay let's look at app first an app is basically a, a localized program on your device right so you if you see an app on your phone it would be an icon all to itself a chatbot would live on messaging app so let's say you're using facebook messenger or using i don't know line you open the app you go to your contacts and there's, there's a list of bots there you can converse with and you pick one of them to have a conversational experience with them, so to speak, on that chat interface. So that's how they're different from that. How they're different from WeChat is, I think, even more important because WeChat didn't go, quote-unquote, conversational route. What they essentially did is they noticed that, especially in Asia, people tend to spend a lot more time in messaging apps and also people tend to have a preference for quote-unquote feature-rich experiences, which is very different from what you see in the West where people prefer simpler UIs. So what they did is they combined the fact that people spend a lot of time in it, people prefer feature-rich experiences, and created basically an app hub within WeChat. So you can go to, let's say, a McDonald's WeChat page and interact with McDonald's, order a meal, pay for it right there. Effectively, it's the McDonald's app experience, but enclosed within WeChat. There's no element of quote-unquote being conversational there. Mm. And I think it, it, that's still efficient. It's interesting you mentioned this. So I will put on a little bit of head of products app and tell you a little bit how companies in Asia actually use the WeChat app. So we actually create what's called an official account page. In fact, the official account page has actually have other variations like official app page. It's basically as a user, you subscribe to these accounts. And in these accounts, WeChat gave you a place to create some HTML5 CSS kind of coding to allow you to interact. And then the important piece is what is the business transaction you need to create? So underlying it, you can think of it as like a mobile web page, but also mobile actions as well. When you do that, then you actually make that transaction slightly different. Because when I was looking at the chatbot, it required me to think about what is the interfacing in the chat that I need to do with the user. So the user must give me a particular messaging in order for me to execute that interaction. Correct. Yes. And that's the challenge with chatbots, right? They've Essentially, the way they've implemented it, it's become a command line version of app. So you send the chatbot a message, the chatbot send you, sends you back basically an app screen and you interact with whatever it shows you on that screen. And if you need something else, instead of clicking on an app or clicking on the WeChat page, you send it another message. So it's become a command line substitute for apps, which is which I think introduces even more friction and is less likely to be successful. You wrote an article about the path to victory for chatbot and apps. You want to talk a little bit about how does that work if you want to make it work? You know, before that, I'm going to get into that, but I want to highlight why this is happening. I think that the two companies in the West that are pushing the chatbot model right now are Facebook and Microsoft. And these are the two companies that missed out on building the previous computing platform. Smartphone app, Facebook doesn't have access to the app platform. Microsoft doesn't have access to the app platform. And they both, they've made multiple attempts to get on and they've been unsuccessful. So I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to make sure they drive the next wave and that they're in the driver's seat. Almost any platform that seems like it has potential, they're investing as much as required into it. And I think that's kind of what's driving it. It seems like both of them have bitten off a bit more than what the technology is ready for right now. So I think right now what chatbots are really good for is customer service. 
Right now, if you want to deal with a business after you've bought a product or service from them, your choices are basically call or email them. And actually, um, this is already happening with what IBM is doing in enterprise with Watson. In fact, a lot of companies in Asia are actually using Watson to do basically web chat interfaces. When you go into, say, a company website, basically make inquiries, for example, in Asian banking sites, they actually mm. use Watson to guess what you want to ask and basically tailor made that information. So it's a form of chatbot, but on a web. It is still old fashioned, but you know yeah. what? One thing I find it very difficult for me is that why wouldn't they just take what already works in the Asian messaging apps and take it back? Because if you look at Microsoft's history, they have basically have the largest messaging platform. And yet it is Tencent that make QQ monetize and make the money out of it, not them. Yeah. That's true. Uh, you know, the, the web chat example is a good one. As an interaction model, it's more efficient for a consumer than a phone call or a, or an email because it, it's real time and at least much more real time than the other two options. Unfortunately, the web chat model is not a great fit for mobile and that's how most people are interacting with businesses today. If you want to transition that model over to mobile, chatbot is a perfect design example for it. But neither Facebook or Microsoft is focusing on that. Their entire experience is built on conversational commerce, trying to replace app screens with, with chatbot messaging. It's not a great approach because A, I don't think the tech today is ready for it. And if consumers start using these chatbots, they have a bad experience. They're not going to go back to them, which means lower consumer engagement, fewer businesses come on and build more chatbots and the chatbot model falls flat on its face. But if they went the customer service route, which is, it's not as exciting. That's fairly obvious. It's not as exciting as what Facebook is, is trying to do. But it's more efficient. It actually reduces friction for consumers and in a job they actually want to do. And it's going to increase consumer engagement. And slowly, more businesses are going to come on to mobile. And as that technology improves, you can try and create more use cases for it. But before they get that foothold market, you're in a very tenuous position. The way chatbots are going now, I don't think they're going to be very successful. I hate to ask this question. In my favorite analyst, Horace Deduce, words, what's the jobs to be done for chatbots? Let's see, if you, what Facebook is trying to do, the job to be done is everything. Honestly, everything your smartphone is trying to do, right? It's, there's no there's no single unified job to be done. But if you're looking at what, what I'm suggesting, the job to be done is make it easier for you to deal with after-sales service, make it easier for you to contact a business and deal with returns, product quality issues, question, service questions. I think that's the job. I go back to the question because you wrote something about this what is actually the path to victory for chatbots? I mean, if you only keep it to say customer relationship management, customer service, or some form of business transactions, for example, calling a Uber, calling Spotify services, are there anything that you can actually go beyond that? Or is it just making that layer between chatbots and apps, basically? Well, it depends on how the technology improves. But the first thing you need you need to do is you need to have a platform where businesses and consumers are interacting. Right now, they don't have that. And customer service will give you that platform. You need businesses to invest in chatbots. You need consumers to start using chatbots. So that's step one. Once consumers and businesses are starting to interact in your platform, there's layers you can build in. It's possible in case the tech doesn't improve, you can link that specifically out to apps for those companies. It could become an app advertising channel or a commerce advertising channel for business at the very least, right? Let's say you're dealing with Uber customer service. Oh, sorry, sorry, maybe Uber is not a great example. You're dealing with, let's say, Amazon customer service. Amazon could suggest another product for you to buy right there. Amazon has another app that they've launched. They could advertise that app right there in that conversational interface. Now, if the tech improves, maybe at some point down the line, five years down the line, Conversational commerce may, be, may become a reality then. Maybe it's possible that the tech improves to a point 
where the experience is much better than it is today. But it's hard to call, call today. But you need to have that first step, that foothold market before you can build anything on top of it. This is the part where I actually find it very confusing. Why do they want to create chatbots in the West and then when they try to scale it through, say, WhatsApp with their billing customers or messaging apps into the emerging markets, the UI that the emerging markets is subjected to, for example, China and India, is more the WeChat interface. Well, I don't know about it. When you, when you really look at the WeChat interface, which is basically messaging as a platform, it's really localized to three markets. One is Greater China, with China, Hong Kong, Taiwan, mm. Japan, South Korea. That's it. There's a couple of countries in, in Southeast Asia as well, maybe Thailand, possibly Singapore. But beyond this, messaging as a platform hasn't picked up anywhere. WeChat hasn't been particularly successful in India. The platform features haven't I mean, granted, there aren't too many platform features in India, but the ones that they are, uh, that, that exist, haven't seen a great amount of engagement. And I think it goes back to Asian users skewing towards feature-rich interfaces and other users being used to simpler interfaces. So markets where WhatsApp is strong, I'm not sure if messaging as a platform is the greatest way to go. Maybe I should just add it to another few markets as well. Indonesia and Philippines are also very major messaging apps. True, major messaging app markets, but are they major messaging platform markets? Because oh. in India, BlackBerry Messenger is really big, right? Ah, yes. Yes. Yeah, BlackBerry in Indonesia is almost like a platform. For example, if you go into Indonesia and you go into BBM, you uh-huh. can actually find out what is happening, where are the best places to go, where are the best pubs to visit, and where are the friends that you can, strangers you can meet. So is that much as a platform? But when we talk about the messaging apps, a lot of where these messaging apps are all going is that they create these official accounts where you can actually subscribe to services very quickly. Like for example, you can literally call an app through Didi, through WeChat. I mean, not just in China, but even outside China. I'm bullish. I want to draw a line between messaging as a platform and B2C communication on messaging apps, right? So because Mm. I think B2C communication and messaging apps can be implemented on WhatsApp as well without WhatsApp becoming a WeChat-like platform for which is a portal for pretty much everything. All you need for BTC communication is official accounts. That's all, literally all you need. Rather, what WeChat has done is it's basically created an app-like experience on the brand pages itself, right? And I don't know if, if that model is going to work beyond the handful of Asian countries right now where it has worked. It will work because most of the Asian countries are actually more focused in a single business transaction. So when I talk about single business transaction, it's like, for example, order a cab, order a takeout, order a service, like bookings, booking a doctor, booking a hairdresser, booking that kind of services. And what the messaging apps in Asia seems to get it right on that is that it is able to make messaging apps have that kind of B2C transactions very, very quickly without fail. No, I still think that you can draw a line, right? Mm. Because you can get those jobs done through a different interface. If you can do strictly B2C messaging, mm. which is which again, right now, the bar for that is going to be pretty low. It's going to be things like after-sales service right now. Maybe that you can implement on, on WhatsApp. What I'm talking about is the, the rich experience that you have within a WeChat page. I'm not sure if that can transition to another market like India, where people are much more accustomed to a simple, simpler messaging experience. Mainly because consumers, users in China, Japan, South Korea, they're much more accustomed to feature-rich apps, apps that have lots of different features on them on one screen. But markets like India and even the West, they're much more accustomed to an app being single-purpose, it, it, ha- it having a very, very simple user experience and a simple UI. So I'm not sure if, and you can see this even when you look at games that are popular in Asia versus uh, in East Asia versus games that are popular in other markets. The interfaces are very, very different. And I think that's a big difference. I, mean, I do think that B2C communication will evolve 
on in messaging at some level at some point across the world but i think it will be implemented very differently in other countries as opposed to what we chat did so would you see a, a two tier system that means a system that works with facebook messenger in the us maybe in india with this new chatbot technology and then there's the other one would be the wechat model wechat line and kakao talk model where they are actually going to just basically using messaging app as a platform yes again i think it's going to be a watered down chatbot model it might not even be chatbots if chatbots don't get the interaction they need facebook might just roll out official accounts on whatsapp with a human on the other end there is one interesting part where the messaging apps for asia doesn't have is the extension with artificial intelligence because based on this current official accounts model that wechat and line pioneered is that it mm-hmm. actually makes it very difficult to do more contextual and complex tasks and that's where the conversational ui actually has that advantage because it actually can learn the user as well it can what i'm skeptical about is it can learn the user only if the user interacts with it that's right. right and that means you need to have a valuable service for the user the chatbot needs to work well for what it's supposed to do but before we get into the ai piece i thought maybe we should just quickly have a quick chat about what is facebook doing in the video and live streaming front that this is interesting this is it seems like this is mark zuckerberg's it's his next big plaything he's been enamored with live streaming streaming ever since meerkat and uh, periscope burst onto the scene uh, let me start by saying this i think If you want to create a great live live streaming social platform your social network needs to be broadcast oriented that means you need to have a person who many people want to follow but that person doesn't necessarily know the other people so it's one to many connection something like a follow model on twitter on twitter popular personality a well known analyst even you if you want a live stream a lot of people want to want to see what you're saying they'd like to see what you're saying but you don't necessarily know them but on the other hand when you look at what facebook's model is like facebook is a one to one connection You might follow Jennifer Lawrence on Twitter. You're not going to be friends with her on Facebook. You might follow a Facebook page. Live streaming is really only a fit for Facebook pages because Facebook pages are the only one-to-many interaction channel that Facebook has. That, that's what makes live streaming so curious for me because the way Facebook's trying to implement it, they're trying to do one-to-one live streaming except it's not really social. When you look at Facebook, Facebook just shows you all the live streams that are active around the world and they're not necessarily from people you know. or people you have any social connection with on with on facebook and that's the curious thing to me it seems like what facebook's vision for live streaming is has nothing to do with today with facebook as the platform we know today and what was the platform in the future that you think they are actually going towards then it really seems like facebook's basically trying to build a web portal that people go to all the time and they're trying to cram as much stuff there as they can into that portal more of the social interactions are moving to the messaging layer the the photo sharing layer which is instagram snapchat where facebook's just become a, a portal it's become the yahoo's of old so you say that facebook is may end up becoming like the yahoo of today in the future but well, in a different context a lot necessarily it depends on what decisions they make between now and say the next 5 years i'm quite bullish on facebook's future and, and what they're doing because they've also got their investments in messaging and social so even if let's say facebook feed becomes less popular which so far it's not been less popular it's become more popular well there's a lot of data showing that the sharing has actually gone down and is something of pretty much concern to facebook well that's true down 20% original sharing is down 20% which means facebook content that people are writing about themselves photos that people are sharing 
sharing about themselves and not just you know articles shared from here to there it's a concern for them because it gives them less information to target you on and i don't think that's going to go i don't think original sharing is going to go anywhere is going to grow anytime soon i think like maybe live streaming is another part of that they see that as a way to to increase original content sharing but i don't see that being uh, being the magic bullet i think at some point the facebook feed is going to get less popular at least in terms of it being a social platform people might go on it and see what's going on on the feed effectively for news it's it's it's, be, it's become a content hub right that's what it is but it's actually quite obvious why they actually do video and live streaming because with video and live streaming and also given the bandwidth increase and with all these mobile networks going better and faster video is probably the next clearest step after photos and text so there is this argument that the reason why they want to go live streaming is that people will be able to stream their daily activity and for video is more of the piece on the video ad site which they are already have been actively promoting in the last couple of months to start going after youtube itself because youtube is is a very subscription channel and they feel that the way to go is actually social so what they are actually doing with video and live streaming to me is actually more obvious as an advertiser i would want to have that capability to be able to stream very quickly in facebook i mean it's, it's the same context as what they did with instant articles with respect to textual content and image content right you basically have those content living within Facebook but I mean for the publishers there's actually no benefit because they get stuck with Facebook then that's true but uh, as an advertiser I would still be, be much more interested in video than in, in live streaming at least today life is a tricky beast it, it really depends on the characteristics of the social network if you want to have really engaged live streaming which means when the video goes out you want to have a lot of people who are interested in watching it as well and the way Facebook's implemented it right now I don't think that's necessarily going to work at least not as well as scope and, and Twitter I mean, granted Twitter's, Twitter's business and active usage is going down is on the way down but live streaming at least the current paradigm of live streaming fits twitter better video is a different animal i think there's actually a bit of data that came out on the information a few, a few weeks ago said that a facebook an average facebook video sees 75 percent of its lifetime video views within the first four days that same number for youtube is 79 days which means the kind of videos that are popular on facebook and the kind of videos that are popular popular on youtube are also quite different facebook is much better with immediacy which means sports highlights probably work a lot better on facebook which is a really strong advertising opportunity and possibly even live events so maybe the man- bullet for facebook isn't live streaming it's immediate streaming maybe a video that comes out within a few minutes within a few hours of an event happening just to close out the conversation is that if you look at how they think about video and live streaming it also connects to where they are also moving with virtual reality with oculus riff isn't it because video and live streaming also plays into that particular category as well that's true uh, i personally i think that virtual reality is going to be the next big computing platform but it's going to take about 10 years if not more to get there and the reason i say that is because in my mind a new computing platform is only going to go mainstream if it does things that the previous computing platform did not so mobile was popular because it gave you the ability to take computing everywhere, which is something the PC didn't allow you to do. And that's why I don't think wearables would work because they don't give you any obvious benefit that smartphones do not. Again, that's why VR can do it because it gives you an experience that smartphones couldn't. It gives you an experience that PCs couldn't. Granted, you can't, at least the in, the initial iterations of it aren't going to be mobile. You can't take a virtual reality experience with you everywhere, but it still gives you an experience that the previous computing platform did not. 
Mm -hmm. I think that's why that's big, which means there's opportunities to create new content. So which is video potentially live streaming if they find a way to to fit that into their model. But content, the basic play is content. This comes to the next part of our conversation on artificial intelligence. We have seen how artificial intelligence are superseding devices and products. I mean, if you think about iPhone, you think about Siri, you call Siri. I think you just don't talk about chatbots, you forgot about Echo with Alexa, which I find is actually much more better in the face than what I've seen so far from Facebook and Microsoft and Google now, which is probably one of the best. I use it sometimes to just do searches and it's really good. And if if you have seen what Baidu is doing in China, they have also done a lot in terms of using AI. I guess the question for me to you when we come to this AI, and I think this has something to do with the chatbot conversation that we talk about later. And that's why we are putting this together. How does businesses leverage AI as part of the model? Because Andrew has this prevailing theory that you need to be a big platform like a search engine like Google or Baidu to have that kind of data to be able to derive insights from there. Where do you see the business models actually work for businesses that actually build on top of artificial intelligence then? Well, the way I see AI is a technology, right? So a technology can be leveraged to fit your business model. So let's say if you're Apple, your goal is to create a hardware experience and make money off of that hardware and try to create services or software on top of it, leveraging AI as much as possible. So which means make Siri an indispensable part of people's lives, as an example. Through that, attempt to drive hardware revenues. If you're Amazon, use Echo as a gateway into people's lives, into, into the living room, and get them to transact with Amazon services as much as possible. Try and get them on Prime, Get increase that transaction, maximize that transaction volume, which is how uh, at least the Amazon business, excluding AWS, makes money. If you're Google, your goal is to create the best possible service to, to surface information. And let's say the best possible mapping service, something that can, let's say if you take, take Google Now as an example, to give you suggestions and to meet your needs even before you search for it. And through that, increase engagement on let's say the search platform, which could be Google Now, Google Now on tap, and at some point drive advertising revenue. There's multiple ways to make money off of it. It just depends on how you as a company use it and how much focus you put on it. So I think there's some companies like Amazon and Google that put a lot more emphasis on artificial intelligence than let's say a a company like Apple does. For artificial intelligence, I mean, there are different kinds of business model. There's the transactional model and then there is also advertising. Then how does advertising become part of the business model then? Take Google as the example. Artificial intelligence is already baked in to Google now at some level. Or the original AdWords model was built where you search for shoes and you get ads for shoes. Companies that are advertising for shoes give you place their ads right up there. And hopefully that was what you were searching for and you click on. As Google's become larger and has made more investments in machine learning and AI, what they've now tried to do is anticipate your needs, anticipate what you're searching for and put that as a card in Google now. What they also did was they implemented Uber and ride sharing services within Google Maps as a transport option. And that comes up as a card within Google Now when Google thinks you need transportation. So that's an ad going into Google Now and that's artificial intelligence learning what you do and your transport habits and potentially where you live, where you're going to work, what what the context outside is like. Is there a lot of traffic? Is there, So it would be better for you to take plug public transport. Is there is the road open? And are you at a distance that suits an Uber better? A lot of those things play into both what is machine learning and artificial intelligence. And I think we're going to revisit the narrative in the second part of this 
conversation when we talk about cars as well because I think Baidu and Google is leveraging your search information with regards to maps and then try to basically pin you towards what form of transportation that you can take from point A to point B and that is actually happening I mean they have actually done a lot more work even making maps offline as well to you if Mm -hmm. you were to see I think Google has actually become much more attuned to the emerging markets because they know that it's actually very difficult to download maps at that kind of speed so what they do is they create an offline mode for you to actually pre-put the maps into the device itself. So they've actually done a lot of all these and basically take most of the AI to do the work upon demand when you're accessing those information. I think this conversation is getting much more interesting. So I think we're going to get back into part two to talk about two other important topics that's actually relating to this narrative. But before that, Samir, where can my audience find you? You can follow my blog at tech-thoughts.net or follow me on Twitter at Samir underscore Singh 17. And you can find me at blongcw or at bernardleong.com. Subscribe to us at Analyze Asia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E-A-S-I-A, Asia. Follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, A and Google Play now but only limited to the US market and of course definitely drop us a note and drop us feedback anytime Samia we're going to come back and talk about the second part